This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. Ah, uh, shut the fuck up, Google. Technology sucks. Hey, everybody, this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Rita in Stockholm. And this is Build Phase. So Rita's here. <laughs> Hello. Uh, <laughs> my name is uh, Rita Lemedin. Uh I am a designer, front-end developer at ThoughtBot. And I'm currently in the Stockholm office. Yeah, I think that should do it. <laughs> For now, at least. <laughs> How about that knock to unlock? What do we think of that? It hasn't worked for me since it worked flawlessly three days ago. Mm. <laughs> it worked it worked perfectly three days ago, one time, and since then it hasn't reconnected to my phone. Ah. Yeah, I haven't tried it out. Uh, I still can't believe it would work, and even if it would, I don't think it's going to be that much of uh, like an improvement over the experience. I just have a very short password, or no password at all. <laughs> I, I think it, it works really well when it does work. You know, like when, when it did work for me, it was super fast and a lot easier to get in than typing my password. I do have a longer password, but, um, but then it, it, it's not even the app's fault. It's Bluetooth, that Bluetooth low energy stuff just sucks. Um, the radios aren't spinning up or something isn't happening. So it just never connects to my phone. How do you think they're adding the animation to the login window? I didn't even know that you could access that. Yeah, right. I don't think you can, actually. They're doing an overlay. They're just doing an overlay. They're, they're doing some kind of view hierarchy hacking. Well, it's impre- <laughs> scary. It's impressive. It is, yeah. Yeah, that was the intriguing part, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's super impressive um, and also kind of terrifying. <laughs> they essentially added a keylogger to your <laughs> login screen. Right. right? <laughs> I was just going to say, it's this thing that's just sitting around and knows your password and just punches it in right. for you. <laughs> Creepy. S- secure. I was thinking they were using some sort of private APIs. Isn't that, If they're in the App Store, I guess that's not going to be the case, right? They're not, though. Uh, the, they're, yeah, they're not in the App Store, but also they're just pasting your password in. <laughs> like, they're just... You give them your password, and then they just paste the password in and hit enter when you knock. That can't be very secure, though, right? Because they're either storing it in plain text, or they're just encrypting it and then decrypting it when it's time to put it in. The whole thing. (laughs) I mean, everything about it is, like, kind of sketchy. Like, super awesome as, like, a tech demo, right? It's really an impressive tech demo, but... You start thinking about the implementation, and it gets real creepy real quick. I just quit it. I just quit Knock to Unlock. I can- you guys talked me into it. <laughs> yeah, I should turn it off. So I think what we wanted to talk about today was talking about UI development. You do design, but you taught yourself Objective-C and some... Right. Um, Core graphic kind of stuff, right? 
Yeah, so I started design uh, with Photoshop, but I'll, I'll spare you the, the details because that's uh, exactly how every design story uh, <laughs> starts. And uh, I moved to web design around 2008-9. And in 2010, I was working for a big company who were actually starting like to have like uh, iPhone or mobile projects, both uh, iPhone and Android uh, that's uh, in 2010. Uh, that would be iOS 3 uh, slash 4. And I was working on uh, a social uh, network. <laughs> yeah, that sounds a little bit of a cliche, but that's actually <laughs> was the case. Uh, and uh, I was doing the design part of, uh, of the project. And we, we were actually hiring external developers to... Uh, implement those designs. So it would be the typical workflow when, where I would send a bunch of PSDs or uh, uh, pings to, to the developer and he would implement them and send us a build. I don't think we, we were using TestFlight or anything of that kind back then. I'm not even sure if TestFlight was around, uh, but we were, yeah, he would send us a build and we would test that uh, and I would notice like a bunch of things that I'm not happy with and I would fix them on Photoshop, email them, wait for him to, uh, it was remote also. So like I would wait for him to, to, to show up on the chat and then, you know, ask him that this thing, like, like tell him what to fix, like, you know, and over time I, I, I just was curious of like, if I can make this a little bit easier for everyone. So, um, <laughs> I started learning Objective-C, uh, so I got a bunch of books, and I was really excited. <laughs> and as soon as I started, I just figured out that it wasn't that easy. So uh, I, come, I, come from a, I come from a web background and where everything is like HTML and CSS, and those are really, have a very low uh, barrier to entry, and they're quite simple in the way they work so I, I was I was kind of like underestimating what I'm getting into uh, in the beginning like I was yeah I mean I can I can probably pick some things but it was really hard just at the point where I had to so like any book I would pick up the first thing that would I would start learning about is like memory and for me like I didn't know that there was something like that that's called memory that I have to worry about just because we, we design for browsers and we don't care about those <laughs> kind of things and right. I was like, yeah, okay, memory. So what's the deal? And uh, Arc was just being uh, introduced at that point. So a lot of the stuff was still manual memory management, ALEC, DALEC. And that stuff is absolutely confusing to someone who doesn't have a good computer science background. And that was my case, technically. So, yeah, I gave up. Uh, I, so I was I was in a couple couple of like uh, workshops, iOS workshops, but they were mostly like how to submit your app to the App Store and how to do stuff like you know not not actual implementation. So I gave up, uh, and I, I always was like trying to get into iOS, but I always hit that wall. So and I would probably just uh, back off and come back to it a couple of uh, months later. Same problem. In 2011, I started watching the iTunes U course. Um, that was uh, the Stanford course by Paul Higarty. Uh, and the, that one actually helped me figure out some of the things that I couldn't figure out in the beginning. <laughs> 
So things like memory management and, yeah, classes uh, or stuff like that, like objective uh, programming. I, I didn't finish the course, but at least it got me to a point where I was uh, comfortable enough to just go around and pick chapters from other books and just continue learning. Uh, and, yeah, I think that's how I got started with iOS. It's until last year that I uh, started actually getting really into the details of implementing designs and working with front-end stuff on iOS. Today, I really like doing that, and I'm still learning a bunch of stuff. It's just like there's so much stuff to learn. <laughs> we'll just, I guess, get into it. How much do you guys use um, nibs or storyboards when you're prototyping or when you're actually doing the production? Mark? All the time. For... Yeah everything yeah um storyboards where i can i've learned on this latest project that storyboards can quickly grow out of hand and we have this one massive storyboard and on xcode 5 it takes about 15 seconds to load it it's obnoxious Um, i've been working on splitting that up and any new view controllers i've been putting into their own storyboards so i'm using my own storyboard for anything that's linked up like if it has segues drawn between it like everything I can mm-hmm. grab together goes in its own storyboard. And then just for views, I use nibs and then have a category on UI view that gets the nib and unarchives the object. Uh, <laughs> this afternoon, actually, I was talking to Jack, one of our other iOS developers, about the, uh, the storyboard love-hate cycle. And that's basically... Yeah. You discover that, like, you learn about storyboards, and you're like, holy shit, this stuff is awesome. And then you really overuse them to a point where they just don't work anymore. And then you go back to do to win everything in code. And then over time, you realize, well, actually, I can delegate some of this stuff to storyboards. So you go back to that, like, middle uh, ground where you use them for, like, big picture stuff. But right. you, you try to not like use them for everything that's UI related. And I think that's a good uh, position to, to be in. I've been using them to try to understand auto layout better before I try oh, to yeah. understand <laughs> how to how to write constraints in code. And the, yeah. the auto layout editor in Xcode 5 is really good. Yeah, it makes yeah. much more sense than the one in, in uh, 4.0. Yeah, it, it, the Xcode 5 fixed almost all of my problems with auto layout, I feel like. I was, I've been working on like a Mac app for the past, like just a mock-up of a Mac app, so just the prototype stage. And for like the past week, I've been working on it, and <clears throat> I've been kind of using it as an excuse to wrap my head around auto layout, especially since on the Mac, it feels more important to use that kind of stuff because seemingly simple stuff, right? Like I have a window, and there's a label in the window, and when I resize the window, I want the label to wrap, and I want everything to get pushed down with it. And using auto layout for that made a lot more sense than trying to do some like frame math. Yeah, exactly. But that's a, one of the reasons why I use nibs is because I'm so much more likely to add a, a layout bug when I'm writing code than Interface Builder is. Yeah, I think I think what you just what you just said, Gordon, is absolutely right. I mean, you, it's a no-brainer to make a Mac app without using auto layout. And in fact, I would say that uh, 
I was just saying this a while ago, is that like iOS apps that uh, require like complex uh, layout algorithms are probably doing something wrong because an iOS app should be quite simple to begin with. Like, I mean, there are some simple things that you really need to do with auto layout, but like if you have a bunch of views that have to have some certain layout, probably you need to step back and rethink some of the ways your 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 higher like the the controllers and the views are are set up in the first place when when you're building a complex view do you typically use subview hierarchies or do you try to do a lot of drawing and code i'll use subview hierarchies now on ios 4 i think lauren brichter a long time ago during the Tweety Two days, wrote a blog post on how he got 60 frames per second scrolling in Tweety Two, and the way he got 60 frames per second scrolling in Tweety Two, even on, you know, the 3GS, was that he used no frame hierarchies or no subview hierarchies, and just drew drew everything into the cell yeah. as a flat view, right? Like he just he just drew the t- like there was no there weren't any labels in Tweety 2. It was literally drawing strings onto the screen or into a view and then that view became the cell. So I used that but but I probably wouldn't go back to that unless I had some crazy performance reason to do it. But most of the devices at this point are are good enough to not have to worry about that as much as we used to. I'm trying to think of when I would draw something in code versus, I guess we did some, um, some like progress bar animations, like a circular progress indicator thing. So, you know, I think we had to draw that stuff in code, but even that was essentially just taking two images and, drawing the status drawing them onto the screen in specific way you know what i mean right so you're basically like uh are those like images that you generate in code or is it something that you have in your uh assets yeah they're they're they were actual image assets oh okay yeah i totally get that and then you're just animating a mask or essentially yeah i see yeah i don't i don't remember the exact exactly what we were doing but yeah it was basically animating a mask so the thing that i've been trying to uh get into is like uh drawing the assets in code and then saving them caching them in a way that you can reuse them in that in that uh session and i think i really like this approach because uh, it gives you the power of like uh using code to draw so like you can change uh like things really easy and also it, it doesn't have uh as much of a performance cost as like saying like say drawing every time the view uh shows up uh so yeah that's something i've been doing and well it has so the only implication is that if you have a lot of assets you have to monitor your cache but so far it never happened to me like most of the apps, they would have a few icons or a few backgrounds here and there. So I've never had this issue of like, yeah, you might you might need to keep an eye on the app uh, cache, like uh, this cache, but th- that never happened to me so far. And I really like this approach. Are you talking specifically about the UI image cache? The, uh, the one that gets invoked by using image named? Yes, but like also uh, storing the, uh, the the bitmap data in a in a variable. 
uh, or yeah, and, and we're using it, yeah, in a property. Got it. Uh, yeah, but, so like basically drawing drawing images in code, but just like lazily initializing them. So you just you draw it once, and then you hold on to it, and use right. it everywhere you need to hold on to it. Yeah. Oh, I did some core animation this week, and it was an exercise in frustration. <laughs> I don't I don't understand core animation as well as I thought I did. <laughs> core frustration. I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Right. I was just trying to do a simple animation where this thing would spin, it would pop in using a keyframe animation and then shrink out when it's done. And things would happen where it would pop in, but then it wouldn't rotate or it would rotate and it would just appear on screen and then disappear. I I, I just don't understand core animation. (laughs) And I really didn't want to use like affine transforms on the view. I thought it'd be better to use the layer. Also, did you know that animations are removed from layers when you go into the background? So when you come back to the foreground, you have to manually add your animations back. Why? That seems... I have no idea. I didn't know dumb. that, in fact. So, like, <laughs> animations that are in progress, or... Just, so, you, if, if you add an animation to a layer, and, uh, and you set removed on completion to no, so it sticks on the layer the, for as long as the layer's around, and you go to yeah. the background, it seems to get removed. Oh. So, in, in my case... You hit like the Facebook button, and I show the spinner. And if you don't have um, the Facebook credentials in the app, we kick you out to Safari, and you off, and you come back. And when you come back, the spinner is just stopped dead. Annoying. I'd love to know why that is. That's sweet. <laughs> Thus, core frustration. <laughs> so, how do you get around that? Do you have to save a reference to that animation and then re-add it on Will Become? Yeah, you have to listen to the notification save off the animation, and then re-add all your animations Ugh. to the layer. That's I mean, I guess you could have one, like, animation setup method that just gets called when you're ready for it and when you come back from the background, but yeah, it's still an odd quirk. Yeah, I haven't spent as much time as I would like with core animation. Like, I've done basic stuff here and there, but, like, I would, I would like to get into it sometime. But now, actually, you're discouraging me. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Mark. It's super awesome when it finally works right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I happen, uh, la, uh, I, I talked to uh, David Ronkvist. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not pronouncing his name right because it has one of those uh, Swedish uh, letters in it. Uh, he's the guy who writes uh, uh, a lot about uh, core animation and uh, Basically, yeah, core animation or core graphics. And uh, I was talking to him during the last Cocoa Hats, and he, sh- he showed us some really neat tricks uh, as far as like timing animations and things like that. And I just felt like uh, I really have some catching up to do <laughs> when it comes to core animation. Did, did, did any of you have time to play with UI dynamics? Uh, just, I've just been toying around. I, I tried to recreate... Um the lock screen on iOS 7 where you can grab the camera and like lift it up and let it fall with gravity or you can propel it down using the velocity from a pan gesture but uh, nothing that's in production code or part of a real app because my thinking was like if you use UI dynamics you won't be doing a lot of the manual uh, animation stuff that you do in core animation so it's sort of like it became less critical 
It still is, but I think now you have one extra layer of abstraction that you can use to get really neat uh, animation effects without actually getting into the nitty-gritty details of like timing them and things like that. It almost feels like auto layout does to like frame math, right? Like instead of doing the frame math, I just kind of declare a layout, and instead of having to set up all the math for a animation i just kind of declare some physical properties to the thing and then let it do that it's it's much it's a more declarative way of approaching that same thing like you had rita you had done a like a bounce animation in an app for like you swipe a cell and the cell pops over and then when it comes back it hits the left side and it bounces a little bit and that was all done through like math and timing and stuff and i feel like you could have gotten rid of all that code and just added some dynamics to it, added yeah. gravity, added some mass. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I So in the current Learn uh, iOS app, I, I spent a lot of time timing the bounce uh, animation. It's like it's really hard to get right because it needs to feel natural, but, but also like it needs to have the right... Well, actually, yeah, it needs to have the right ease-in and all of those things. And doing those things manually is not always easy. <laughs> so yeah. it w- like if you just miss it what, one second, it would feel a little bit uh, inconsistent. Like the first bounce is not as doesn't have the same velocity as the second one. So those kind of things are the things that like UI Dynamics is totally taken care of. So you don't have to worry about the details. And just as you said, you describe what you want or how it should be done. Or no, actually you describe what you want and the the system takes care of uh, making that happen. So I think it's a good, it's a step in the right direction. And I don't think that any other framework out there has something like this well so obviously there are like all the uh game libraries and those have that kind of stuff but like for app design uh, i think apple is doing something really good here yeah adding adding physics as just like a platform feature like (laughs) yeah (laughs) like like you know you're building a checklist physics engine is on there for ios now (laughs) it's just like a thing that's available (laughs) How, how do you think that came about? Do you think it was they wanted to build their own uh, game physics engine and then they got to a point and they said, hey, we could use this to underpin like a higher level in U- UIKit? Or was it we want to add physics to UIKit, let's build this library that does physics, and then they go, hey, we could, uh, we could um, make this public for game purposes? I kind of feel like it would be something that would come out of SceneKit, right? Like that they were like 2D games... And these kind of like simple casual games are something that, I mean, that's, it's a big part of Apple's ecosystem, app ecosystem at this point, right? And so empowering those developers to some extent is in line with, with what they're trying to do. So building scene kit. So yeah, I can, I could see them building scene kit and then I, I keep saying scene kit. I mean, sprite kit. Um, <laughs> building sprite kit and then being like oh hey there's a totally extractable physics engine here that we could just plug into ui kit that makes more sense to me than them being like we want ui kit to be bouncy and then being like oh crap <laughs> we totally <laughs> built a game engine <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's the case uh 
it just feels like they, they were putting a lot of effort behind gains, like the all, like the controller stuff and the sprite kit. And I guess at some point they just decided to extract that and and make it part of UI kit, just because they realized that it's it's really good. And in fact, a lot of uh, uh, game libraries they have some really nice APIs that I would actually want to use in 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 apps. So yeah, animation is one of them. And there, there's also like scene kit, but I have yet to see it like used for something. Uh, well, for something that actually I use on an everyday basis. I wonder if this sudden focus on gaming has something to do with uh, Apple's plans for the Apple TV. I mean, they, they probably see that any sort of TV platform is going to involve gaming, right? And that's going to be the biggest appeal. And I think I read somewhere that uh, Sprite Kit is really just Box 2D expanded. Apple bought Box 2D. Hmm. And there are even some references to it. But who knows how much they've modified it for their purposes. The thing is, like, uh, talking about SyncKit, it doesn't feel like it's it would have some real, like, some, some good use uh, or some obvious use for uh, for Mac apps. It just feels like it. You, you, you need to think really hard. So I, I've heard that the Reveal app is using SyncKit for the view, for the view thing. Like, you know, the... So Reveal app, for those of you who don't haven't heard about it, is like an app that helps you inspect the view hierarchy of your iOS apps. Uh, and um, they're using SceneKit to render those uh, view hierarchies. That's cool. I didn't realize they were using SceneKit for that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. But uh, I heard from someone who knows a lot about SceneKit, <laughs> uh, who happens to be the developer I mentioned earlier. <laughs> so do you ever do view introspection Stuff like using Reveal or Spark Inspector or Pony Debugger or any of that stuff? Uh, I use Pony Debugger, actually. Um, but it's actually fairly rare that I, I use it for the view debugging. Mm. I mainly use it to watch requests going out and responses coming back. Right. See, I, I just use Char. I end up using Charles for that kind of stuff, so I don't. Yeah, I, I haven't had the chance to use Reveal yet, but. The also the thing is like I also can't think of a good use case for now because well probably later on when I build an app with a really complex view hierarchy and I would like to know what's going on but other than that I really know the apps I'm working on uh, like the back of my hand so I don't really need to know like how because if I am if I need an inspector tool to know the hierarchy of my views it's probably a sign that I'm doing something wrong. But that's that's the way I feel about it. I, I haven't tried it yet. Maybe there there would be a real good use case for that that I haven't thought of. But yeah, so far I haven't had that urge to to use it. So I have a, in my LLDB init, I have a, a command RD that just does, I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but it just does a recursive description of every element on the screen. So it just prints it out in the debugger. So I just get this the few times I have been like, oh, I need to, why isn't this thing tappable or, you know, why isn't this label showing up? You know, maybe there's some logic around the label and it should be showing up and I can see that it's showing up, but it's not showing up. You know, I can do, you know, I'll just type RD into LLDB and it'll just print out the recursive description. But there was a blog post that came out like a couple of days ago about how so one of the things that has kept me away from using stuff like um like reveal or spark inspector or pony debugger is 
having to add those frameworks to my project to use them it just i mean it's not a huge deal like there's a cocoa pod for reveal for example and i'm sure that there's one for spark inspector and i know that there's there's one for pony debugger too right mark yeah yeah but it's always so it's not a huge deal but it's always been just kind of like one thing that's kept me from using them but so reveal they did a blog post about how you don't actually need to do that you can use lldb to inject reveal the library into your app at least in the simulator you can use it to inject the library into your app during runtime and so i added they had these commands laid out right for like aliases basically lldb aliases so you can just hit pause anywhere and then write you know type reveal underscore load and it'll load reveal into your app and then you can start up reveal and the thing that they really kind of that really kind of caught my eye about it is they had an idea for using breakpoints to do that so you have like a a reveal load command and you set a breakpoint somewhere and have it run reveal load i run my app it breaks where the problem is and then also pulls up, it could also put, inject, reveal, pull it up for me, and then I can expect it from there. That actually kind of makes more sense to me than just always having this library pulled into my app. Like, I, I almost bought reveal yesterday specifically because of this blog post, and I was like, oh, that actually sounds useful to me. Because that's how I use the recursive description stuff, right? It's like... yeah. Every now and then I'm like, oh god, where the hell is this thing? Like it doesn't happen it doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen every week. But when it does happen, it would be nice to have a visual representation as opposed to um just this kind of textual thing that I have to dig through. I've I've found that I only use recursive description for nefarious purposes, and it's usually to see inside <laughs> of Apple's views yeah. because I want to do some view spelunking or something. <laughs> the the most recent case of that was I have cells in this app that have buttons in them and I don't want the tap on them to be delayed. And so previously you could just set delays content touches to no on the table view or scroll view. But because cells now have a scroll view inside of them, you have to set it on that one too. And there's no um, interface for it on UI table view cell. So you have to dig through the subviews, find the scroll view, turn off delays content touches and then everything works. But yeah, the only time I find myself using yeah. that is to do bad things like that. <laughs> <laughs> so are you actually using reveal, Gordon? No, I on haven't. I, I'm I'm serious. I'm serious. No, no, not on the Mac app. I, it's it, this was all the Mac app was just like literally just dummy data punched into labels. You know, I, I tried to do as little code as possible. But I am thinking about using it for my next project. Whenever I get. You know, the next project I'm on, I'm seriously thinking about using it just as an experiment to see how it feels, see how useful it is, see how often I end up using it. Yeah. Yeah, I was definitely intrigued by the concept, but uh, I remember when I tried to uh, use it the first time, they didn't even have a CocoaPod. So right. you had to do it like manually, add it to the to the project and all of that. And that was like a uh, like a deal breaker for me. <laughs> I love that we're at the point where if something doesn't have a pod, we just won't use it. <laughs> Absolutely. It makes me so happy. We came, we came a long way, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, there was, that, there was that really great, really awesome, um, it was like a quick look pl- 
plugin for LLDB. And so uh, what you had to do is you added some commands to your LDB init, like a quick look, uh, basically a quick look command you added to your LDB init. And then you would also have to add these category methods to NS object, basically, that adds Xcode 5's quick look stuff. So like if you hover your mouse over a thing and you can click on, you know, here's a variable, here's a UI image, for example, right? And I can hover my mouse over it and it gets a little pop-up and then I click the eyeball and then I can quick look that image from within Xcode, which is an awesome feature, but I don't touch my mouse. You know, I just, I rarely ever touch my mouse. And so what this allows you to do is type, you know, QL, you know, my image into LLDB and then it will open up that image in quick look which is pretty awesome but it needed you needed to add these category methods to ns object inside your project and so like this came out on you know it, i i found it because of ios dev weekly like a few weeks ago and the first thing i did was i just wrote a cocoa pod for it i was like hey <laughs> here like I, I just wrote the pod spec and i opened up a pull request i was like here you go uh this works <laughs> go ahead and submit it to the repo <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thoughtbot should start a nonprofit where we just create pods for libraries that don't have them. I know. Yeah. We'll call it Pod Friday. <laughs> I've Change. done. <laughs> Changing it's... the world one pod spec at a time. Yeah. <laughs> Send us money. I've done it for a couple of GitHub owned repos too. <laughs> Which is kind of fun because I think that they're not super secretly annoyed by it <laughs> we should find libraries by people who are like vehemently anti-pod and then just bombard them with pull requests to yeah add this yeah, yeah. Pod spec i, I don't think they get that any... anyway <laughs> <laughs> like every like last last week justin at justin on twitter whose last name i'm blanking on for what is that justin bieber yep, yeah justin bieber um just last week justin bieber was Complaining about <laughs> people opening up CocoaPods pull requests against one of his libraries. Uh, whatever. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to get into all that. But I think it would be funny to just, like, first of all, pod specs aren't that hard to write. They really aren't. If, if they're hard to write, then you're doing something wrong in your library. Almost without it without a doubt you know what i mean like if you i i've written maybe a dozen pod specs at this point maybe more i've never touched like the post install and pre-install hook stuff you know mo i mean most of the time i think 99 percent of the time i don't know that's a made-up statistic but a, a, a damn good chunk of the time the it should be pointing it at source files right like here's the source files you know go yeah. and that's as easy as the pod spec is i feel like people that are opening up pull requests asking or opening up issues asking for cocoa pods should just try writing one of them themselves they're not difficult to write it's not like you actually need to know ruby it's not like you actually need to know anything just figure out what frameworks they're linking against declare those point to the source files it takes like five minutes and then we don't have people bitching and moaning about stuff like this on Twitter. 
is is updating the uh the uh the specs still like pr based because i was thinking at some point they had they were trying to figure out a way to make things a lot uh more streamlined how's the status on that as far as you know yeah, right so right now yeah they 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 used to give everybody push access once you open a pod um so like i have push access and i know mark has push access too but um they closed that a while back because there were just too many people and people were screwing up the pods repository. Um, so now it's, they cl- shut it down and it's all pull request based, which sucks, but I don't know where they are on it, but I know that what they were working on was like a thin wrapper on top of GitHub. So the whole thing would still be based on GitHub, but there would be a wrapper on top that you would be able to authenticate against and just push your pod to that. And then like a robot basically would be able to deal with pulling it into the repo itself. You know, I know that they're working on making that better, but so what's your guys opinion on the uh, transition to iOS seven style UIs? How are, how are third party apps faring? How are Apple's app store apps making the transition? What do we like and dislike? I don't think most people are doing it. I just really don't. I really think that still most apps on the store right now, at least most of the apps on my phone that I use constantly, are really just iOS 6 apps with iOS 7 nav bars. I don't feel like they're doing anything interesting. You know, I mean, I think that they're they're great apps. Like, uh, Twitterific, I think, looks great, works great. Tweetbot, I'm not super in love with the style that Tweetbot chose for ios 7 i think it it's a shame that they toned it down that much i think that they could have done some stuff with the status bar and nav bar kind of stuff um i think they could have done more than they did but the all the animation stuff looks and feels great i just don't think that it's that i don't know that that kind of that kind of thing wasn't the interesting thing to me in ios 7 it was um I still think that the most interesting thing in iOS 7 is the concept of context, keeping context inside of an app, not leaving one screen to go to another screen, instead just kind of transitioning in place in between those two screens. I think people are missing that for the most part. Yeah. I I think I I share a lot of your thoughts regarding... uh iOS 7. But the way I see it is that at this stage, a lot of developers and designers are taking a step back uh, in terms of like removing everything that they had before and starting from uh, like a clean slate. And I'm feeling like going forward, we will see more and more interesting um, ways of doing things. So from 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 one perspective, I think we're heading uh, towards we're heading the right direction. By just like a lot of apps that used to be to look really hideous now look kind of acceptable, and I'm really looking forward at like once we reach that point where all the apps would look pretty much the same, and I think we're getting there. Uh, then we will start to see like some apps that get out of the lot with really cool navigation concepts or uh, transitions, animations, all sorts of, uh, stuff that makes a user experience a lot better on iOS seven. 
Yeah, I, I think it'll take six to nine months, but then we'll start seeing apps that were conceived of after iOS 7 and were fully built with iOS 7 in mind. I, I think in most cases, developers rushing to ship by the time iOS 7 launched just didn't have time to do like a soup to nuts rewrite and rethink of how their interfaces should work. So they were kind of forced to just like color a nav bar and maybe change some fonts and call it an update. But like more around the time of iOS 8, I think things will start getting really interesting. Yeah, I and, and I get that. There's just like little things like Omni, OmniFocus, right? Omnifo, I, OmniFocus is one of my favorite apps. I use it constantly. I've bought, I've sent Omni, the Omni group, so much goddamn money for that app. <laughs> All the different versions. Um, they totally redesigned their app for iOS 7. And it looks great. And it works great. And they took advantage of a lot of great stuff. Um, but there's like little things like on their main screen. So if you haven't seen the new OmniFocus app, basically what it looks like is kind of the calendar week view up at the top on their home screen, the calendar week view, and then essentially like a grid of different ways to view different like inbox and your projects and your contexts. So, so the top of the screen has like a little calendar view that tells you the next seven days, I have this many things due on this day, this many things due on this day, this many things due on this day. And then below that is like a grid of icons, kind of. And the interaction is that when you click those, the, the screen actually kind of splits in two, opens up, and you see the new screen, the list behind it. So when I click on the inbox, the screen opens up, and the there's a list, the, a more traditional list view behind that of all the items in my inbox. And that works awesome. The problem that I have with it is that when you click on or when you tap on the the forecast view, which is that top week view, the same thing happens. The entire screen opens up and you see the list view behind it, but the forecast view still has that same week view at the top of it. I just think they missed a huge opportunity to tap the forecast view and just have the bottom slide away and see the list there, never lose the context of that forecast thing, right? So on this forecast view, are the interactions with that view different depending on the context you're in, or is it, is it exactly the same? Like, like, can the second one do something that the, like the original forecast view cannot? The original forecast view is just static, so you can't, it's not like you can interact with it at all. Okay. Um, it just shows you the next seven days. So when you tap on it, then you can it brings you to the forecast view, and now you can interact with that thing. Now I can click on the specific days. I just it the it's the first thing I tried, and it's the first thing that I was like, wow, why didn't they? Like it just it feels like a missed, and and that's kind of been my experience with iOS seven this whole for everything is like it all looks great, but it, it just all feels like it's missing by just. A little bit. Like, there's nothing out there. There's not one app out there, I don't think, that I feel like totally nailed it. Don't you think that's the case also for Apple Apple's own apps? I think totally. that's that still applies to the whole OS, actually. <laughs> totally, yeah. But I've always said that, like, Apple's, I don't know, Apple's apps were ne have never been the best-looking apps on the platform, ever. Not since iOS 2. Right, the second third-party apps came on the market. There have been better-looking apps than Apple's apps. Do you still think that holds true in iOS seven? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, they're they're all using more stock UI than ever. 
I mean, Remote what? came out this week. Oh, and, and it, is it? it? It looks nice, and it doesn't crash anymore, which is super great. <laughs> but it's not super compelling. But I guess it doesn't have to be, right? Because the remote, you shouldn't be looking at it. You just use it. You should be looking at your TV. I, mo- uh, movie trailers is pretty good. Like, there's nothing crazy shocking about it. It's just really well done. I guess my biggest gripe with iOS 7 right now is that out of the box, everything looks... Uh, subdued like everything is trying to not get your attention (laughs) so you're looking at uh very thin hairline icons with very thin uh separators between cells almost inexistent like uh color on well actually it's a white uh nav bar and almost everything is just trying to disappear (laughs) and that's a problem in itself no i i I think the problem there is that people, like, the intent behind that is that the Chrome shouldn't be fighting for your attention. The interactions with the Chrome and the, like, the things you can do and the content of the app should, are what should have your attention. So I totally understand having a subdued nav bar, right? Like, that's not something that, like, you shouldn't go, I, I, I get what they're trying to go for with, like, you shouldn't open an app and be like, oh, sweet nav bar, right? Like, that's not – you should open the app and be like, oh, this is cool. Look at all the things I can do with this or look at all the things in this, right? I just – again, I think that people haven't taken advantage of that as much as they could. Like, everything at this point feels like a text-based application. And I don't think it necessarily needs to be a text-based application. I think people can take more advantage of images and color now. I think they can take more advantage of that now than they were able to before. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I so I totally get that the the idea of like Chrome Chrome needs actually to disappear, but there is still we need some level of Chrome so that we tell the user the, his, like this is what you can do with this app. And, like, if everything in the app is subdued, like, not even buttons. There are no buttons anymore. It's just colored text. And the user actually has no idea what are the possible actions to take on that app. Like, a user who is not used uh, to the uh, OS. Maybe in, like, six months, uh, most users would get accustomed to that. But I really think that Apple went a little bit too far. They could have stopped at the point where... Uh, remove borders from I. So I'm talking about UI button, for instance. They could have stopped at the point of like remove shadows, remove insets, uh, have one uh, like color background, but at least have some sort of container to that button, because they went to, to they went like a little bit to the extreme. Like at least they need to have some sort of like uh, visual clue beside color that would say that this element is tappable. Uh, that could be underlying, although that's going to just take us back to 1995 <laughs> uh, uh, with the like web stuff. But I guess there is not enough affordance in a lot of uh, the UI controls in iOS 7, uh, and that's fine. I mean, you can still you can still create your own visuals, and I guess this is where third-party developers can shine. Is fix sort of like the things that Apple. Uh, overlooked when they were working on the, and, and and maybe one like in iOS eight, Apple would would start stealing those ideas, just like they stole uh, pull to refresh and a bunch of bunch of other things. <laughs> I mean that was someone on the day iOS seven. I think it was Craig Hockenberry, 
the day iOS 7 was released, just posted on Twitter, man, iOS 8 is going to look awesome. (laughs) 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 You know? Just like, it's a transition step. And they took a big jump, and they took a bunch of risks, but it's going to take a little while for developers to get used to the new idioms and for Apple to get used to the new idioms. Because, like, it's been talked about to death, but, like, you really kind of get the sense that this is, like, a six-month redesign. You know what I mean? Or less. Like, how long between Force... When... The time between when Forstall left and WWDC, like, that's how much time they had to redesign the entire OS. And it shows in some places. (laughs) I'm still curious about that timeline. Do you... uh, I kind of think that they probably started on iOS 7 design before, and that's what all the fighting was about. And then at some point, they just let him go. <laughs> what do you think? I don't know. It's such a 180. I can't, I can't see... Maybe it started as like a Skunk Works thing. Like, I could see it mm. starting as like a Skunk Works kind of thing. Like, like, hey, let's just take a small team and rethink iOS and what, what could the lock... Like, start at the lock screen, right? Like, the lock screen constantly seems like the most i was gonna say it was the most thought out design but when it came out it had like 16 arrows on it and none of them told you which way to swipe to unlock (laughs) yep yeah well honestly i still swipe in the wrong direction from time to time yeah i do too (laughs) i don't know but i could see it being like a skunk works thing and then some parts of it catching on and then being like but i don't know i don't know it's such a 180 it still feels like it still feels like something that was like done after he left. Six months is not a lot of time, though. Impressive. Yeah, but I guess like things like uh, TextKit uh, and things like that. I guess they were underway way before. Yeah, I, UI UI Dynamics must have been. There's no way, <laughs> you know, UI UI Dynamics must have been underway before TextKit. View controller transition stuff, like all the underlying right. stuff. Yeah, it's just like the. The design itself. The, the coat of paint. Wrap this one up? Yeah. Yeah. You want to shut this down. So the show notes for this episode will be found at thoughtbot.com slash build phase slash 15. If you want to get in touch, you can send us an email, build phase at thoughtbot.com, or get in touch with us on app.net or Twitter at build phase. And if you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you'd leave a comment or a rating on iTunes. It really helps us reach more listeners. This episode of Build Phase was produced, edited, and recorded by Mike Manor.